Welcome to River's Edge Church Podcast. Each week we strive to bring you biblically accurate, exegetical preaching of God's Word so that you might belong, believe, and become like Christ. We hope that you will find this week's message beneficial in your walk with Christ. Word today. Um, we are going to be looking at two passages today. And um, I told my brother, I just realized that I told Mark about one and I didn't tell him about the other, but I'm... I'm not going to, I'm going to throw you the curveball, so I'm going to give you a heads up now. Um, go to Colossians 1, we're going to read 9 and 10. So, for, it's my fault, because I sent him, I knew what the passage was going to be that I wanted the, 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 to be on today, which is not that one, but we're going to be there first. The reason, this one was sitting on my heart all week, and I was like, I don't know, man, I don't know if I should add it, I don't know if I add it. And, uh, you know, one of those things about God is he is persistent far more than we are, and he just waits until we finally crumble. He's just like, look, at some point you're going to give in. You know, I'm going to overwhelm you. And so patiently waiting for him, um, for me to get over myself, uh, that's what we've been doing this week. So um, we will be there if you want to turn there. Um, but before we do that, I just want to get everybody caught up because I know not everybody's been here. Um, so we started this idea um, this series based off the vision that we have for the church in 2024. And so for those who've been keeping up, you know, we talked about two essential ideas last week. Um, the first we wanted to focus on was this, the word of the year. So some people do this word that they're like, that's my word for the year. Uh, and I wanted our word this year to be desperate. And I know that's like, that's weird, right? But we talked about this like in detail God's called us to have his kind of heart and his kind of compassion. And God that we serve, he, he is absolutely desperate to reach his people. Now, I know that sounds weird because in the way we look at desperate, it's like you have no hope, like it's the last resort. Think about this. God was so intent on saving people that he sent his son to do the work that we couldn't do for the option for us to receive him. Not, oh, now everybody's saved. It's, you could still not be saved. Like, you could still choose. That's how desperate God is. That's how hungry, that's how desirous he is for us to be in his presence. He wants us to be in his presence. And our hearts should reflect his heart. Our desire should reflect his heart. And I want us to be thoughtful in this way. I feel like, Last year was such an amazing year, and I feel, and I told people this a lot, like it almost was like every week was a new thing. Like we were just surprised. We were, in some sense, kind of like surviving. Like that first year in, in parenthood, right? Like, ooh, remember that year? That year of where you didn't sleep, and most of it's a blur. And uh, every time that the baby farted funny, you took him to the hospital. Like that year? Okay. Um, <laughs> that's the year. That's what it felt like. It was like, we made it. <laughs> And God did some cool things, but it, was, it didn't feel as intentional as we wanted it to feel in some ways. And I, I felt like, man, this is the year. Like, God has done some amazing things. He has put us in a position that is, just to me, outlandish. I'm like, only God would do weird things like this. Only God would move the way he's done. And I want us to move from this point of just how do we make our church bigger? How do we make this little kingdom here, right here, bigger? And focus on the things that God desires us to do. And I think the only way we're going to do that is if we're desperately, urgently, intentionally seeking out his will. And so last week we talked about the, con the first concept 
uh, for our vision this year, which was to go. Um, we are called to go. We are to be his testimony. And we're to go testify wherever that is. For some of us, like we talked about, it's in a gas station, it's a grocery store, right? It's in our cubicle. It might be in a classroom, in our neighborhood, at our, or in, our, in our neighborhood pool, at our amenities, at our local gym. It could be thousands of miles away, but it could also be a thousand feet away. And we're called to go to those places and be his, be his testimony. And we're called to go to all of his children. And all of his children are called to go. This isn't an exceptional thing. Like, we don't need to go, well, the, pa- the pastor's gifted at talking to people. And that person over there sure is mission-oriented. We're all mission-oriented. We're all made in his image and in God's image. That means that we are all, should be, desiring to reach other people. There is no if, ands, or buts. We're all called to go. Today we're going to look at the second part for 2024, and that's called to be desperate to grow. Now, I know for a lot of us, growth has a certain connotation, when you, especially when you think about church growth, and, I, and I've grown up in this. Um, we're thinking about things like how many people showed up for Sunday morning service. How many baptisms do we have this year? How many are on your membership roll? How many kids did you have at VBS? We like those numbers because those numbers are very straightforward. They're data-driven. We like it. But church growth has to be more focused on the internal growth than the external growth. We can't, we can't get wrapped up in the results Right? Like we can't get our minds on, man, I, you know, we really want to see a, you know, this huge, massive church or this big movement. And a lot of people do these out of a good heart. Like they come from it, not from a place of greed or a place of pride. They really do want to see lost people reached. But they're focusing on the wrong thing. They've got their eyes on the wrong part of the, of the problem. God wants us to look inward. He wants to see us grow internally. Because God understands if we grow internally... The, the church, God's kingdom will grow, period. It may not mean that River's Edge is a massive church. What it means is River's Edge will be a, a live church, an active church, a vibrant church. And that's far more important. Let's look at today's passage. I'm going to have Mark come down and read it for us. And as I mentioned before, it's in Colossians 1. And it's just 9 and 10. <coughs> Here you go, my brother. See, I gave you time. Yeah, you have plenty <laughs> yeah. of time. Full, full five minutes. <laughs> Alrighty. For the reason also, since the day was heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may f- be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with Word of God. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I went on to 11. That's all right, but it was a good, it was a good stopping point. So, yeah. All right. Thank you. He added the verse, and it, you know, well, good, you know, good news. I like it. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I don't know if any of y'all had to experience this, but um, I don't know if there's anything more desperate than long-distance relationships. And I, and I say this. So when Aaron and I st- got together um, and started dating, um, I had exactly what, six months, five to six months before I knew something had to happen. Um, And uh, sure enough, I ended up taking a job in Iowa, which, if you don't know, I was so far away. It is is so far in the other direction. Um, And for a year, 
we had a long-distance relationship. Uh, we got to see each other whenever we could sneak it in. I think we had maybe three weeks in the summer, um, and then a couple of other weekends here and there, maybe, a, you know, because, again, I was working a full-time job as a coach. She was working a full-time job at, you know, at the school, and it was hard. And I remember, you know, just being overwhelmed by this need for her presence, just to, just to have her there, just, just, you know, just to be in the same room as she was in. And it ached. Like, I physically hurt. I physically hurt from her not being there. Um, I think for us, you know, in the long run, especially for me, it was probably one of the better things for me. It helped me realize, like, I need this person. You know, I grew up hyper-independent. Like, I was that kid that was like, I can make my own sandwich. You know, like, <laughs> that was me. <clears throat> and um, so to, for me to go, holy smokes, like, this person means that much. Like, I don't function the same when they're not in the room, when they're not here in my life. And, and I say this story, I share this story because I, I want you to think about this. Um, do we think about our relationship with God in the same intensity? Do we pine after God? Do we ache to be in his presence? And if, and if we're honest, I don't know how many of us do. I don't think many today, especially in our culture, really do. There are plenty of people who come to church every Sunday, and they're content with a long-distance relationship with God. They're content with every once in a while picking up the phone and sharing some of their problems, catching up a little bit, getting a word of encouragement, and then not thinking about God for six, seven days. They're content with that. This is what they want. But God wants so much more. And here's the sad part. For any of us who have been in a relationship, that long-distance relationship is not the best version of your relationship. It's not the same. COVID really, I think, opened up some people's eyes about the way they think about how they interact with people. Because there's a lot of people like, I don't like people. Right? Not a fan of the people. But you realize, like, man, when I'm not around people, <laughs> I kind of don't like it. There's a big difference, though, with being in someone's presence. There's a big difference between a long-distance relationship and a close, intimate, daily conversation with somebody. One of the things about our passage today I think is really good is it kind of points to some of this. So <clears throat> the first of these things when it talks about growing and this idea was um, first a knowledge of his will. Right? That's what's the first thing that, that Paul talks about. And it says that God desires that we would know him intimately. Now, this isn't just in passing. This isn't in a distance. This isn't like, hey, I know about God. But to know his will would be to know him intimately. To have knowledge of what he wants to do and where his heart is and what he is compassionate about requires us spending time with him. And we can only do that by being in his presence. We can only know his will by spending time listening to him, seeking out what is his will. I know, like, I'm sure, like many of you, there have been times in my life where God has brought me to a fork in the road, and I've had to make some really tough decisions. And on this side, I can see all the good, and on this side, I can see all the good. And I'm like, well, which way do you want me to go? What's your will here? 
And in those moments, it's really easy to like set aside time, right? Like, well, I'm going to fast, or I'm going I'm to read my Bible, or I'm just going to pray, and God's going to, right? It's really easy because those are really big moments. But the thing is, is daily, God has a plan, a will for us. Daily. And it's really, like, it's so hard for me to sometimes wrap my head around that because I'm like, man, God's got like a lot of things going on, right? Like, surely he's not thinking about me on a daily. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. He, he has a plan. He has a purpose for you every day that he wants to use you for every day. And he wants you to be embodying his will every day. But he's, you can't do that. You won't know where to go if you're not with him. You're not going to know what to do if you're not in his presence. The second thing that they mentioned was a, a spiritual understanding and wisdom. One of, my, uh, one of those real famous ones that comes to mind for this is... Uh, <clears throat> This idea right here, trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Um, and not in your own understanding. So, like, that's Proverbs 3, 5. Like, people got fancy artwork for it. That's why I pulled it out. I want everybody to see it. But here's the, the real understanding here. Um, we actually can access his wisdom and not our own. And I think that is something that is his understanding. There are so many times where... God will do something, and it's so hard for us to wrap our heads around. And there are going to be so many moments in our life where God moves in a certain way or something happens, and we go, well, why did you do that? Why didn't I get this job? Why didn't I get this promotion? You know? Why, why didn't we get this house? Why didn't this opportunity come to fruition? Why did that fall through? The more mature we get, the older we get, the more we begin understanding these things, and it's not from ex it's not so much from an experience on our own end. It's not from us accumulating more knowledge. It's from us gaining wisdom about who God is and how God moves. All of us, at some point, I'm sure, either knew or were this child that had wanted something so bad, right? So bad. I, I'll give you an example. When I was a kid, I wanted a pocket knife. You know why? Because my granddad had a pocket knife all the time. My granddad was a mechanic and a countryman, and he never not had a pocket knife. My mom's like, you definitely don't need a pocket knife. I know you. You're not getting a pocket knife. But at some point, I got me a pocket knife. You know what I did with that pocket knife? I cut myself immediately. Like, it was immediate. The same day, I gashed myself so good. You know, like, what else would you do with a pocket knife, right? And it was one of those things, and, and, and that's so much like how we are. Like, I learned, like, one, uh, you know, I should be really careful with pocket knives. Um, and two, you shouldn't give a kid a pocket knife. It's not a great idea, you know. You, they need training, and you might want to dull it down some. Um, but that's the reality, though, of how God moves. God understands, like, man, if I give you everything you want, you would hurt yourself. Like, half the things you want aren't good for you. Half of the things that we think are good plans are terrible plans. Terrible plans. I know all of us would love if God was like, hey, you know what, you're going to win the lottery. You know, like, we're all like, well, I mean, this is not an awful thing, right? But most of us probably couldn't handle that. And I say that because most of the people who won the lottery couldn't handle it. They've all, almost all of them become bankrupt. God understands and knows what we need because he's a good shepherd. And so when we tap into his spiritual wisdom, when we tap into his spiritual understanding, we begin to be able to process better what he's doing, how he's moving, and what he wants for our life. The next part of this talks about walking in the worthiness of the Lord. Walking in a way that's worthy of the Lord. And it, 
Um, when I was a, uh, <laughs> I heard this story, so this is not my story. This is a story about another man's dad. Um, I had a friend of mine who told this story. He says when he was a young man, um, he, they were digging in the yard, and they broke a shovel, and they needed a shovel. So they went and borrowed the neighbor's shovel. And they were digging, and if you've been down here, you get about six inches in the soil. You're digging into stuff that's not made by any normal understanding. It's, they call it gumbo. It is the worst stuff around. It doesn't dig well. It is awful. Um, it, it is almost impenetrable. And sure enough, they broke that shovel. Now, the young man, being like all of us, was just going to return the shovel. He's like, I'm sorry, I broke your shovel. Here you go. <laughs> his, father, <laughs> his father comes to him and goes, look, man, there's only, <coughs> you've only got two things in life that are worthwhile. He's right. It's like, but this is what you're going to do. We're never going to leave something worse than we found it. That's, that's, that's one thing I want you to remember. We're not going to leave something worse than, it, than you found it. He goes, okay. So what they do, they go replace the shovel. Well, young man gets older, and every time the young man goes out, his dad says the same thing. He's like, remember, leave it better than you found it. And he's like, that's the weirdest thing. But he's like, all right, whatever, and he'd go out. And for y two years, he would do, his dad said this every time he walked out. Well, one day, he got upset. And he goes, he's just, you know, teenager. And he goes, what do you mean when you say that? You've said it my whole life, and I don't understand why you say it to me on the way out the door. He goes, son, you got one thing in this life. You got a last name. Your job is to leave it better than you found it. Leave it better than you found it. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I don't know if you guys know, but the name Christian, which many of us carry around as a moniker, is a little bit tarnished in our culture. And, and we probably know firsthand facts about people who are like, hmm. I mean, they call themselves a Christian, <laughs> right? And we've experienced this. I know I have. I know some people, I'm like, man, you are giving some Christians some bad names. This idea of walking away that's worthy of the Lord is the same concept which God talks about all the way back in Exodus, where you shouldn't take his name in vain. As much as we want to say, well, that, you know, you should never swear, which I'm sure is quite valid. It's also, don't pick up my name. Don't parade around the name of Christ. Don't, don't sit here and say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And then don't walk it. It's easy to say things. We talk about this all the time. It's so easy to talk about doing something or, or to say, to quote a Bible verse, right? Like, we can all do that. Not, that's not a hard thing to do. What's hard is can we walk out a life that's worthy of the name in which means Christian, a follower of Christ, a follower of the way, a name that's worthy of the Lord. That's hard. That'll be the hardest thing that you do because you'll spend the rest of your life trying to do that. And much like we talked about before, actions have to reflect our words but our actions always betray our hearts. We can try to be good all we want to, but at the end of the day, if our heart's not changed, if, we're not, if our hearts aren't bent toward the Lord, we can't be like him. We can only fake it for so long. We can only put on the facade for, for so long. The next part of this passage says, fully pleasing to him or fully pleasing to the Lord. This is what I love. This is, feels like it's in the wrong place. Because if you read this passage, it says fully pleasing to him. And then it says bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. You're like, why is that? That should be at the end. 
should do all these things. And then at the end, see, that would please the Lord, right? No. This is another reminder that pleasing the Lord is not about the results. One of the hardest things I had to come to terms with was when we were getting ready to start planning this church, and, and I felt just co- totally convinced about this. I had to be okay with this. I had to be okay if this burnt to the ground. I don't mean the building. I meant this church, this, this idea, that this vision. I had to be willing to go and lose. Now, if you know anything about me, I don't really necessarily, you know, I'm not, like, obsessed with winning, but I hate losing. Like, I don't have to, I, like, we don't, I don't have to win. I can't stand losing. Losing is the worst, okay? Losing is the absolute worst. I don't like it, okay? It's not for me. And I had to be willing to sacrifice that because here's the reality. God's not asking for victories in this realm. God's not asking for success in the view of the world. God is focused on obedience and faithfulness. And sometimes that looks like a loss. Sometimes that looks like failure. God is much more focused on, much more interested in your, res- your relationship and not these results that we think about. I don't think God's concerned about if we hit 20 baptisms next year as he is, do we have a, a faithful church where everybody's growing, where people are learning about him. I don't think God is interested in having 60 or 70 members next year as long as, he, as long as we're pursuing his will and being good stewards of what he's given us, praying to him constantly and encouraging our community. Those are the things I think that matter. And here's the hard part, guys. As much as I hate it, that I can't quantify that into data for you. Like, there's no magic math that I can go, hey, look, everybody's growing by a percentile. You know, like, it doesn't work that way. It's a heart thing. It's a relationship thing. And you can't measure relationships with numbers. The closing of this sentence talks about bearing fruit. So often we think about in churches the fruit that we should be bearing is like ministry expansion, right? Like, you know, uh, and we have goals, and these aren't this aren't to say goals are bad, but this isn't the fruit that they're talking about here. I want to point you to the fruit they're talking about. It's in Galatians, Galatians five twenty two through twenty three says, "But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Against such things there is no law." Notice on those things that not one of those goes like graded evangelism you know like revival maker in fact if you look at those those are weirdly like characteristic traits like these are things that you should be doing and if you really pay attention to them and you start asking yourself like hey does is this how someone would describe me um i would hope that i hit some of these but there are a few in here that i'm like "Mm, i'm not great on that one right Love, joy, peace, and forbearance. Like right there, I'm like, well, there's a couple in there I'm probably good at, you know, like. But these are the things, and this is what's so great, because these are the things that from an outside, someone can see about you. You know, there's a whole other section, and, and there's a lot of thought put in this, like how do you know what kind of tree something is by the fruit it bears, right? Well, in a sense, that's true, because how do we know if you have really had your heart changed? Well, because you'll be showing some of this fruit. You'll be loving. You'll have some joy. Now, I'm going to warn you, as much as we want to make good fruit all the time, (laughs) we're terrible trees, 
okay? And just, just the reality, guys, like we're not great at it. And God's got to produce that in us. The Holy Spirit has to be embodied in us. But I will promise you this, and this is an absolute promise, that God, given space to work in your life, can begin making this fruit grow in your life. It is a guaranteed promise. You don't, you don't feel like you have joy, guess what? Let God, ask God for some joy. Pray God, hey, God, I need, I need you to grow me in, in how I'm experiencing joy because I don't feel very joyful right now. Now, I'm going to go ahead and warn you. Okay, I tell people the same thing. It's just like patience. If you ask for patience, you're not going to get patience. You're going to get opportunities to be patient. God's going to give you opportunities to find some joy. But he's going to work on your heart. And he's going to help you bear this kind of fruit. The last one is increasing, and this one was a tough one for me, um, is increasing or growing in the knowledge of God. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, uh, the word knowledge here is epigenosis, okay? And it means to know. It has some other ones that we'll talk about. But this was the part that I, I focused on for all of my years before following Jesus. I felt like if I knew enough about God, I'm good. Like, I know God because I knew about him. I read some of his work. Felt pretty good about it. But I, I wanted to point to this word epigenosis because it also means to recognize. Well, that's different. It also means to have an acquaintance with. It also means to reveal. Now, recognize, acquaintance, and reveal all require some type of relationship, some type of intimacy, some type of closeness that you can't get from reading a book. Right? Like, I can read a book about Aaron. It's not going to be as helpful as living daily with Aaron. The information that I've acquired over our 16 years almost of marriage, which we found out, yes, we were counting yesterday, <laughs> coming up on year 16, is uh, far more in-depth and revealing than any book that could be written about her. And that's the same thing with God. We can't get lost in this idea that this is the only way we understand discipleship. Discipleship is far more than that. Knowing God is far more than having knowledge about God. It's not a bad thing, and it's not the only thing. But there's a multitude of ways that we know something and we gain knowledge. The it can't be the only goal. And what you notice is, is it's at the very end. It's almost like this is also good. <laughs> All these other things are really important, though. And this too. But it's not the primary goal. Now I say all of this and I, and I share all of these things because I, I wanted to lay the foundation for what our goal is as a church. So one of the things that I wanted to do as a church was I wanted us to focus on a couple of different strategies. And last week we talked about our Acts 1 strategy, 1-8. And I also wanted to focus on something called our Matthew 4-19 strategy, which is come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make fishers of men. Now, I want to read you this whole passage so that you understand the concept of what we're talking about as we get ready to kind of wrap up today. Um, and it goes from 18 to 20. And so, as Jesus was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who they called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
Follow me, he told them, and I will make you fish for people, or fishers of men, for those. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left, and their father and their... They left their father and followed him. That ends extra. They don't need all that. The reason that we want to do this is because we, we want to help people understand, one, there's a call to follow Jesus, and that's for everybody, anybody. And then that call us to something specific. For these men, he was, they were fishers, and so he's like, I'm going to make you fishers of men, Right? And sometimes we all think, all right, so we're all called to do that exact thing. Like, we're all called to be, and we use this as, an, uh, as like, all right, we're all called to be evangelists, right? Um, that was for these very specific men, but we are all called to a task. And it's, it's not probably all that far off from what you're naturally inclined to do. But you are called to do something more than just follow Jesus, and that's it. You're called so that he can make you into something. I wanted to point out two things specifically from this passage I thought would be really good. Um, one of them is with the first set of brothers. And they were casting their net. And this idea of them casting, you know, there's a lot of things that go into fishing. Anyone who, who here has been fishing knows like, there's a lot of things that go, in, that go into fishing. Um, and especially with casting nets. It's a different kind of fishing. Right? So, like, they could be rowing, they could be prepping, they could be, there's a lot of things. But they were doing two very specific things. They were casting and they were mending. All right? And I think they, they're there for a reason. One, casting um, is because when Jesus calls us, we're all called to be part of casting the net, of, of reaching out. And, and here's the thing about fishing. It's called fishing because it's not, it's not called catching, if you noticed. Um, because sometimes no one responds. The fish don't get in the net, right? And that's the same way with the gospel, okay? The gospel works the same way. We're not going to be judged on results. Just like what we talked about before. God's not going to be going up. He's like, why didn't you get a thousand souls? That's not the question he's going to be asked. He's like, were you faithful? I asked you to cast the net. I asked you to go share the gospel. Did you share the gospel? Did you? We're all called to be part of this. And that should fascinate you. God could have done anything. I've said this to you before. He could have chosen any uh, imaginable and unimaginable route to get the gospel out to the world. You know what he chose? Us, broken people, baffling. He built us with a purpose. And all of us have a similar purpose in that we are called to be a part of casting this net. The second thing that they were doing, the second set of brothers was mending. <clears throat> and I think this is important because this is a preparation process. If you don't mend the net, at some point, the net just won't catch fish anymore, right? At some point, it quits being a useful tool. So you have to take time, and you have to do it in preparation. And I think this denotes, in some sense, the church is charged to, to prepare the saints for the ministry. At the end of the day, I've, I've expressed this to you. I am not going to be the sole keeper of the gospel. You can bring people here all you want. And I encourage you to do so. But they're not going to care what the random guy on the stage is talking about. What they're going to care about is you, the person they know. And how is the gospel working out in your life? 
That's what they're going to care about. They, they don't know me. I don't know them. I, I, I'll be glad to meet them. I'll shake their hand. I'll get to know them, but they know you. Some of them may know you really, really well. And that call to cast a net is that. And my job and, and our church's job as a whole is to prepare you for this. To walk alongside you, to encourage you, to exhort you to do this. So here's the challenge. Every week we talk about, well, what does this mean? And why do I need to listen to it, right? This is the pastoral part of our message today. Um, you know, obviously for us, there's a goal attached to this that I want us to try to achieve. And one, the one goal that will always be here is 100% discipleship. It is an outlandish goal. It's unreasonable. But I think it matters. I think it matters so much because I think it's so important. It was so, so much a part of Jesus' ministry. That is all we read about. I mean, if you really think about it, Jesus' entire ministry is encased in discipleship. We don't know a whole lot outside of it. It's important. I don't know if that goal will be something we obtain in my lifetime, but I, I want to I strive for it. I know for the next year, what I'd like to see is on our end is discipleship opportunities increase. And, and my goal for this year was 50% increase. So we wanted to see four, you know, four small groups, four to eight small groups made this year. Not all at the same time, but just opportunities for people to be a part of. We want to see the launching of discipleship groups, two to three people gathering you know, weekly for a period of time, really pouring into each other. We wanted to see 30-plus adults involved in our small group or discipleship groups throughout the year. And I think these are reasonable goals that can be obtained. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, there's no program, there's no small group, um, there's no curriculum, no training that will work without commitment. It's just reality. Like I can make up something really cool. I can go find the coolest book. I can get the best teachers. It won't matter. Unless you are stirred to do this, unless you're willing to walk and follow and desire to be in God's presence, to grow from where you are right now and to what God intends for you, what he has a purpose for you. And so my, my, my pleading for you is, do you desperately want to be in God's presence? And, and ask that question honestly. Do you really desire God's presence? Or are you okay with the current long distance one that you have? Are you okay with where you are? Because sometimes we just get complacent. And I understand it because for some of us, man, sometimes it just feels like here is another thing on my list that I feel like I got to do this week, right? Like here is another thing, another task that I feel like I'm being pressured into doing. That's not where I want you to do because what I really want you to do is I want you to be excited about an opportunity to understand and be in God's presence and not a half-hearted attempt to be good enough. Because I'm going to tell you right now, <laughs> you aren't going to do something that makes you good enough. That's not the call. Christ has already done all the work. So this isn't to make yourself a little more worthy at the end of the day. This is an honest and desperate plea of, man, God, I just, I want to know you more. Like, I want, I want to experience what life could be if I were to really just give you it all. I would be like, here, you have it. The sad thing is that and, and we forget that God is so 
ready. He's so anticipatory about our presence. Like, he can't wait to mess some stuff up for us. I mean, he really can't. Like, he's so excited about it. Because, and, and, and this is why, this is the number one reason why I know this. You know why I know he's excited? Because in the parables that Christ tells, we, talk, we talked about it this morning, when they find a lost person, what do they do? They celebrate. They throw a party. Now, in our life, we think, oh, you know, it's like a Facebook salutation. You know, someone sends you a little congratulations. You don't talk to them for another 365, and then your birthday rolls around, and there they are again on Facebook, right? No, it's not like that. It's an ongoing party. It's an ongoing party. And you get to be a part of it. You're the cause of it. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. Think about it. When Christ is talking about when, when all is done, and there's a new Jerusalem, and there's a table, and there's a party, there's a celebration, he says that we're the what? We're the bride. Okay? I don't know if you've been to a wedding, but the most important person is not the groom. We're the bride. We're the ones that they're celebrating because we were lost. I know that's crazy. I mean, it's so wild. I'm like, I don't understand this. Why? How is that possible? Because God is so excited to have us in his presence. He doesn't need us. He wants us. That's a big difference, right? He wants us. He wants us there. There was a time when we couldn't be with God and we couldn't talk with him. We couldn't be in his presence. But God rescues us. He rescued us. And that's not all there is. And I grew up in a culture that had convinced me so solidly that this is all there was. Once you hit salvation, that good feeling kind of ebb off, and then you just get through the routine. You do some holy stuff, and you go about your day. And that's what it felt like. And I'm going to be honest with you, that is a sucky religion. It does, it's not life-giving. It's not powerful. It's sad. And I get why people don't want that. I didn't really want it either. That's not what God has for us. God has a living, breathing relationship that he wants with us, and he wants to empower us, and he wants to pour into us. And he wants to move us from just some average, mundane life to something incredible, where he can do something supernatural. And I mean that, supernatural. Outside of normal, where only God gets credit. That's what he wants to do in our lives wildly enough God wants to for us to experience him in unimaginable ways not just normal ways unimaginable ways being stuck in a valley and the only way out is God and him reaching down and yanking us out of there and only a way God could do God wants to use you and me and all of our brothers and sisters in Christ and his salvific plan what he doesn't want you to sit here and be comfortable, sit here and be complacent, just to go about the business of making church. He wants us to go out and be proclaimers and testify to who he is. And that's a beautiful thing. I'm going to have the worship team come down. And as, and as we close in prayer today, I want to emphasize this for you. Over and over again, 
the world is telling us that we should be comfortable and entertained, that everything should make logical and sensible reason as we go about our business, and that we should just fill up all of our space with anything and everything that's around us. I mean, we literally have a, a, a TV, a whole channel of things at any moment we can access, good or bad, just hanging out in our pocket, right? And the sad thing is, is it's easy to run to that. But I'm going to tell you right now, all God is asking for is, is our time. Like, he wants us to be in a relationship with him. He wants us to spend time with him. He wants us to run to him when we're sad. He wants us to yell at him when we're angry. He wants us to weep on his shoulder when we can't go anymore. He wants us to celebrate together when something amazing happens. And he doesn't want to do it just over a quick 30-minute phone call once a week. That's not what he wants. He wants to go through every step with us each and every day. And I know that feels, some of us, I know right now, you're literally contemplating, like, I want this too, but, like, what do I do? Like, I mean, I feel like I'm already, like, my plate's full. And I'll say it starts in, in two very simple things. One, um, you, you, we got to start prioritizing. There are some good things in our life that have to get pushed to the side because the good is not as good as the better, right? Because there's better things for us. And sometimes it, it's painful, but we got to start doing some better things. The second thing is we need to be praying. Turns out, <laughs> should have probably been the word of the year almost. It was this close, I promise you. We need to pray. And I don't mean like, a rote prayer. I don't mean, God, I, I want to be in your presence. I mean, an honest prayer. Like, God, I don't know what I'm doing here, but I want to be in your presence. How do I do that? Show me. Help me. Send me some help. I'm going to close with this last piece. I'm, I promise I'm closing right now, okay? The one thing I do know is 100%. You can't grow by yourself. I bought that belief for a long time. I don't need nobody. God's everywhere. I can have church wherever I want. You're right, you can, but you can't grow by yourself. You need people around you to grow because that's how you were intended. Okay, That's how God made you. It's plain and simple. God made you to live in a community to grow together. You need people around you to encourage you, to push you, to pick you up off the ground when you can't stand anymore. That's what you need. So don't get in your head, oh, I'm going to do this by myself. You need people. We're supposed to be those people. Let's bow our heads. Thank you for listening to the River's Edge Church Podcast. We want to encourage you to like and follow so that we might reach others with God's good news. You can hear more messages like this at www.theriversedge.church. Have a blessed week.